Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. Today, Dr. Brett Firstel is going to be your host, and he's joined by Cale Brown. Cale's a track and field coach, and he dives into his overarching principles for coaching, the relationship between sprinting and jumping in track and field, the value of jogging for sprinters and jumpers, the importance of the penultimate step in jumping, and then Cale answers the big question, what he wishes he knew when he was a younger athlete. This is a great episode, and whether you're a track and field coach, a track and field athlete, or just an athlete that wants to get faster or more explosive, you're going to take a lot away from this episode. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cale Brown. Cale is a track and field coach at Carthage College, um, and he'll be a, a pleasure to join in on today. So thanks for coming on today, Cale. Absolutely. Thanks. So you have a, a pretty long background in, in high-level track um, as a competitor yourself, from what I hear, and a coach, clearly. Um, I'm, I'm excited to hear more about your story and your personal perspective and how to coach athletes in order to gain speed, power, explosiveness. Um, our listeners are in for a treat with this one, and we'll surely walk away with at least a few new tricks. Um, I'd like to start out just by learning about you a little bit, what got you into performance coaching and track coaching, as well as a little bit of your own story of being an athlete yourself, if you want to dive into that. For sure. Um, I'd say it all started pretty much like when I was younger. Um, we grew up, I pretty much grew up in a sports family. Um, my dad played college sports, my sister played college sports. Um, and then my brother obviously played sports. So we always got involved with sports at a young age, like playing soccer, basketball, um, running track, just kind of played tennis. Um, so we really mixed it up. So sports kind of really just became a part of my life and it was something that I never really wanted to give up. Um, so then once I kind of got into high school, got pretty serious about sports and then, you know, went into it in college, was still very serious about it. And then every athlete hits that point at college where they're like, shoot, like, what do I do after this? And that's kind of the point that I got to. And then I actually had a roommate that started coaching high school track. He was a teammate of mine. And I was like, shoot, maybe I should start coaching high school track. Well, that seems like something that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess he was my inspiration. So shout out to Kyle Novak for getting me into uh, coaching high school track. Uh, and then I, so that was my first year. That was, I think, the spring of 2015. Go or did you coach somewhere else? Yep, that was with Mosquito. So I'd coached I'd coached uh, before in high school, like at summer camps and stuff like that. But this was my first time as like a, an assistant coach officially. So yeah, that was at Mosquito, and um, I got to thank Rich Rainey for hiring me. Um, so he's been pretty awesome and you know just developing me as a person and as a coach. And pretty much ever since like ever since I interviewed there, I was like, this seems like a place that I would really enjoy and. I enjoyed every single day of my experience in Muskego and it's, it's something that stuck with me forever. And that's really what got me into wanting to coach kind of all the time and, you know, learning how to coach athletes that are really, really skilled. And then ones that aren't so skilled as well. Um, you kind of find that balance and find the things that, that you enjoy most about all of that. Mm-hmm. So then how did you end up where you are now at Carthage coaching? Yeah. So I was at Muskego and I realized that I wanted to coach more than just, you know, three or four months out of the year. I was like, I want to do this more as like a full-time thing. So I was just looking around at college coaching positions and pretty much all of them require you to have a master. So um, luckily the timing worked out where Carthage 
also had an opening for a graduate assistant position. Um, so it's pretty much you get to get your master's and then also coach at the same time. So it's two of the things that I needed, you know, college experience and then a master's as well. So that's where I'm at now and it's going really well. Sweet. So do you coach basically everything in, in track or do you have a, spe- a few events that you kind of hone in on mostly? Yeah. So my, I guess I've started in coaching with just um, jumps, just long triple and high jump. And then slowly, you know, as I was working with the coach in Muskego, uh, coach Jerome Michon, we kind of had this philosophy of jumpers are sprinters first. And then that's what really got me into learning sprints and everything that comes with that. And then, you know, realizing how those things kind of connect with each other. And it makes it a lot easier when you look at it like that as you know, jumpers as sprinters, because then you look at the things that are really important for them in terms of like their development. So you kind of weed out the things that maybe are less important. Perfect. Sweet. Um, So now that we got a little bit more background on you, um, I do want to dive a little bit into some coaching principles and just execution. Um, So are there, are there any overarching principles that you tend to coach by? Yeah, I would say the first one is actually the one I just mentioned um, is that jumpers are sprinters as well. Mm -hmm. And that, that makes designing training a lot easier because you have days where they're you're treating them as sprinters so they're doing you know short sprints 20s 30s 40s stuff like that and then you have days where they're working on uh, just technique and that kind of finding that balance really makes the development throughout the year a lot easier you know because sometimes you get caught you know what should I do with the sprinter on this day you know they don't really need to run very far and you just think of them as a short sprinter and what would a short sprinter do on that day Mm-hmm. I would say that's for sure the the first like overarching philosophy. And then probably after that, um, just making sure people stay healthy, you know, making sure you, you put their health before anything and realizing that every day athletes may not feel the way that you want them to feel. And sometimes you have to make those changes. You know, you can't always get all the way through a workout. Sometimes you just have to cut a few reps out or maybe cut a whole segment out just because athletes aren't robots. <laughs> so you have to treat them like humans. Yeah. I, I personally think that's a, a good philosophy, um, at least sort of when I grew up and more so even before that, it seems like a lot of coaches would just pound athletes into the ground thinking that would make them better. And mm-hmm. some of them who were maybe genetic freaks could get through that and they were, end up really good on the other end. Mm-hmm. But I think one principle that I like to tell all the kids that I work with is a lot of times the best athletes are the ones that can stay healthy the longest because mm-hmm. if you're really, really talented and you have a great work ethic, if you're constantly hurt, you're never going to be able to reach your full potential because you're always kind of working up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. So I think that's huge. And listening to your body as a coach, listening to your athlete, that if something's nagging them, you don't force them to keep doing something. Maybe you just back off a little bit mm-hmm. and that's enough for them to be able to train the next day or in a couple of days. So, exactly. I think that's, that's perfect. Um, so with training sprints and jumps, they're very relatively short events, you could say, um, and very power-based. So when I work with a lot of kids and even myself, if I put myself back way, when I always thought that if I wanted to get faster at sprinting or better at jumping, that if I just run more, that should help me be better. So like if I went out and did a two mile run, I thought that that would help me be a better sprinter. Um, 
do you find that's the case at all? Or do you typically try to teach your athletes a difference between the two? Yeah, we, we usually try and teach them that sometimes less is more, Mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to the sprints and every athlete is, you know, very different. You know, you have some that can handle more volume than others, but you have some that are like drag racers where they can only do a few reps that are really, really hard and then they need to rest. Otherwise you're going to toe that line of them being injured and not injured and going back and forth like you were just talking about. So it's, it's really, it's definitely, we definitely have that, the thought of, all right, look, when we're going to train hard, we're going to train hard and fast, but when we're going to rest, we're going to rest because that's when all those, um, that's when all that progress is made. It's not necessarily made exactly while you're doing the reps. It's how your body reacts to, you know, the stress that you just put it under. So if you don't recover right, then you're not, you're not going to get what you want out of it. Uh huh. So as a coach, from your perspective, how important is quality repetitions over just getting the volume in? Oh, all about quality, <laughs> all about quality. I mean, you can, I, you can make good workouts that are short and athletes that aren't used to that type of training will sometimes look at you and be like, wait, that's it. And we're like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but if you be patient and trust us, you'll realize that you can train short and train, you know, intense and then rest. And then it'll all, it'll all come, come through for you. Yeah. I, I was never a huge sprinter, at least a successful one. I'll put it that way. <laughs> but a lot of the athletes that I don't tra- coach track, but I used to be a strength coach myself. And mm-hmm. sometimes we'd go through workouts that are really just meant to be power based. And by the end of it, they'll like you a lot of times say like, that's it. Like I barely broke a sweat. And to them, I usually say like, trust the process. If you're getting these quality reps in those usually make a better difference than you just being tired. Because one thing that I was hoping to dive into at some point today is are there times that you would train your particular athletes under fatigue or do you almost always prefer to have them train whatever way in a relatively non-fatigued state? I would say that really depends on the time of year. Like if we're earlier on in the season, we'll, we'll usually avoid training under fatigue just because like you're just getting things going and you're not quite sure how everyone's going to react to, you know, getting back into shape or doing workouts again, you know, especially with the long breaks that we've had the past year. Um, So that's usually something we'll avoid in the beginning of the year. And then maybe towards middle and end of the season when people are more fit, um, sometimes we'll, we'll still adjust things, but we'll be more comfortable with training under a little fatigue, just knowing that, um, some of those competitions, you do have to compete, you know, Friday, Saturday, um, stuff like that. So it's almost in that way where you're kind of training for that as well. Mm-hmm. But then after that, then you make sure you get a really good recovery. Otherwise, you know. Got it. Yeah. So I do want to dive into a little bit of the the main principle that you kind of brought up that um, jumpers are sprinters kind of first. Um, mm-hmm. So what carryover do you see between the two? So not only like jump, does jump training benefit sprinters, but also how does sprint training benefit jumpers? Absolutely. I think, I think they both kind of interact with each other. Like you can become a better sprinter by doing some sort of jumping and you can become a better jumper by doing some sort of sprinting. Um, and we can kind of see that with just how we do some workouts like, you know, some of our explosive days will just be 20s and 30s in terms of, you know, just accelerations all out. And then that's all we're doing the entire day. And then maybe we'll add in some, 
some sort of jumps in the end, like in place jumps or maybe like um, some like low impact plyos, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the plyos are helping the jumpers, but they're also helping the sprinters kind of get on and off the ground and in different ways. So it's, they, they really are just completely related to each other. They're, they're like they're brothers, they're sisters, <laughs> they're all family. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. So then in a, in a similar perspective, I guess, but more on the sprinting end, um, I do want to hear your perspective on training acceleration, like you kind of got into and mm-hmm. top end speed. Cause they are, I think a little bit different in terms of positions and ground contact time, stuff like that. So how do you generally go about coaching someone, the two, like, do you usually focus on top end speed first or acceleration first or any other type principles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we usually focus on acceleration in the beginning part of the year. Um, that's the one that's most related to like sprints and jumps as well. Like every jump starts with some sort of acceleration and so does a sprint. And we want to make sure that, you know, athletes know how to get through those positions first because that sets you up for how you get into your top end speed. Um, so we'll spend the beginning months of the year just going through 10 meter sprints, 20 meter sprints, um, explaining the positions, you know, triple extension, things like that. Just getting those basic concepts because, you know, if an athlete can at least understand what they're trying to do with their body instead of just doing it, then sometimes that helps them, you know, develop further with that. Mm-hmm. So what are com- some of the key different positions or postures between accelerating and top end speed? Mm-hmm. Um, the difference I, I would say is acceleration over you're, you're in that for that leaning forward position. Um, cause you're trying to build that momentum and, you know, fight inertia from being, you know, com- completely at a standstill. So you're leaning forward. Um, it's more of a push down and back, um, a lot bigger arm motions, just a lot bigger leg splits, things like that. Just, just to get going. Uh, and then top end speed, it's really all about maintaining your posture. I mean, you can only technically keep your, top speed for so long and then it's just a slow deceleration to whatever that your race is um so it's really just all about maintaining posture you know staying upright making sure your mechanics kind of stay smooth and under control really just being fast and relaxed which is like a complete paradox but (laughs) that's what we're trying to do uh so uh when teaching the acceleration part um Mm -hmm. you guys generally teach like long, powerful strides versus shorter, but faster ones? Or is there a difference when you, do you try to coach someone out of one or the other? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I've found myself kind of going back and forth with those. And I've realized that like a lot of things, it, it comes down to that, to a specific athlete. Some people naturally go through those like long, powerful strides, almost to the point where you're like, okay, let's try and turn it over a little faster but then there's some that will just spin their wheels so fast and they have great turnover, but they're not covering any ground with it. So mm-hmm. it's, that's one of those, I've realized it's just an athlete by athlete thing. Some people you have to say, all right, let's, let's be more long and powerful. And other people you're like, let's, let's get a little bit faster with it. Uh huh. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And at least in the PT world growing up, um, and I'm sure it's very much in the strength and conditioning world too. I just didn't follow that path completely. But the answer, it depends, becomes <laughs> what up, comes up much more frequent than you think. Yeah. And then there's always that uh, explanation of why it depends, what it depends on, because humans are so different. So I love that answer personally. I think that's <laughs> um, So I think we've dove in on this a little bit, but what do you see is more important um, 
Is it what someone is training or how the training is executed? So like if someone has the perfect program, um, but doesn't execute it very well versus someone who has maybe a subpar program, but executes it to a T, is there a difference between them or do you prefer one or the other? I would, I would be more in the, the how group. I think it's really important to get through how to do things necessarily more than just doing them. Like you can have a perfect training program, but if you're not, if you don't have the how part of it, like how do we get to this position or, you know, how do I stay upright? Like I realized that you have to be careful with all your coaching cues because once, once people have a general idea of what you're trying to teach, they're trying to do it. Like if I'm saying stay upright, like an athlete's trying to stay upright, but obviously if we haven't taught them how to, then me just saying stay upright, isn't, isn't a good cue anymore mm-hmm. they're obviously trying it so i think it's really important to teach the how um because that seems to go a longer way than just just having things uh-huh um so that's perfect so one um philosophy i somewhat live by and when i'm teaching speed agility quickness jumps whatever it might be but is that positions are really important important first and then patterns and once you can have the positions and patterns in check, then you can work on like power development and sort of speed execution with it. Mm-hmm. So say if an athlete has their position down and the patterning down really well, and now you're trying to work on power um, on the stride or whatever it might be, how important to you is how much effort that athlete puts into it. So if it's 80% effort in trying to get that sprint down or versus hundred, do you try to teach that differently depending on the athlete or just what's your kind of thought on intent behind things? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, an intent is important, but going along with the how, like you want to be able to do things right before you can do things fast. Mm-hmm. So if you know if, if you have the positions down and you have the patterning down, then I guess the next thing would be to add in that intensity. But you'd want to add that in incrementally. So mm-hmm. sometimes athletes can't handle the like all right, now, now that you have it, let's do it at hundred percent. And then it all breaks down. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you kind of have to, you have to control that aspect of the, the speed or the intensity. So that way you can kind of build into it and hopefully they'll feel more comfortable with it as it gets faster and faster. Gotcha. That's a, I like that perspective a lot because at least I can look back at my past coaching and definitely see, I probably tried to coach power sooner than I should have. And when they mm-hmm. didn't have the positions or the patterns down. So yeah. I, I really like that perspective that, Say if you have someone that's training at 80% intensity and then you try to buckle it up to 90 or 100, but things break down, you probably get more out of just staying below that threshold where they can keep working on their technique and patterning and then slowly increase that intensity, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that you just never know when it's going to click. Like it could it could be something that only takes a day and then they come back, you know, a few days later, they're fine. Or it's something that takes three weeks or a month and then finally it clicks. It's just, there's really, there's no rhyme or reason for when things make sense to someone. They just kind of happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I gotcha. Um, switching gears a, a little bit. Um, how much do you value or how much do you guys use like jogging for your sprinters and jumpers? Uh, not a ton. And I think that's something that, is, a, is an adjustment for some people because we probably all grew up doing some sort of like, you know, mile run for a warm up or 800 meters, whatever it is, um, just mm-hmm. to get the body going. Um, so we'll we'll try and implement a lot of 
different ways to get your body moving without having to do just a ton of jogging around. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not completely anti-jogging, but I would say I'm anti-running with bad mechanics. And I guess that sometimes happens when you're jogging. Um, so we do, we'll jog in some of our warmups, um, just to make sure that every, everyone warms up differently, feels differently. So everyone can kind of feel at least somewhat warm. So we will do that on certain days, but, um, it won't go over 400 meters uh-huh. and then we'll, you know, do other drills and get into dynamics. So, yeah, yes, I'm not anti-jogging, but I'm not super for it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, for a lot of athletes that I tend to work with that are a power-based athlete, whether it's a field sport torch or sprinting um we tend to value the ability to run not jog and i in my mind tend to separate that as even if it's the same pace the technique and how you do it looks different like a jog is almost just like a repetitive catching yourself from falling i see versus a run there's an intent behind it it more so mimics what a sprint sort of looks like it's just slower Mm -hmm. so would you tend to agree that if you're going to have someone run slower it's it's more so like a run not a repetitive falling yeah <laughs> it's funny you say that <laughs> repetitive falling that's kind of like what it is when people are just kind of like trudging through the motions when they're jogging um yeah. and i get that that's just a way of kind of getting moving and it's usually been a long day for people so sometimes that's it's nice to do that um but yeah i've, I've realized that when and just in terms of like teaching running that one of the more difficult things to do is to run slow with good form. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's sometimes really easy for people to do it once they get it at a fast speed. But then if you tell them to, you know, dial it back to 80%, but then keep the same form, that's when things start to kind of like break down and you see some okay. flat footedness and, and, and things like that. Yeah, I got you. So then shifting gears even a little bit more yet um, into jumping. So we've, I think we've hit quite a bit of good things on, on running. Um, I hear it all the time and I think it's a good point to just start on, but I heard here the penultimate step is pretty important in a jump. Um, so what is it, I guess we'll start out with and, and why is it important? Yeah. So the penultimate step is the second to last step into the jump. So you know, last step would be the takeoff and then the step before would be the penultimate step. And it, it's important because it sets you up to jump like it, it, you're, that's your switch from running at top speed or whatever, or run, just running in general to then, all right, we're going to launch into the sand or we're going to launch over the bar or uh, whatever it may be. And it's important because a lot can go wrong in that single step um, just with body position. Like people will sometimes, you know, drop their chest, you know, in front versus just staying a little bit more upright. Um, it's, it's a way to lose a lot of speed or it's a way to maintain a lot of speed. So it's learning that step can make a pretty big difference in terms of, you know, the, the quality of the jump. And do you guys have specific drills you'd like to use on working on that specific step? So you are getting into a good position and using it to your advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll use, we'll never really emphasize it being the penultimate, but it definitely is. So we'll just do a lot of different types of skips uh, or different types of gallops. Just put put your body in different rhythms. I mean, every time you skip, you know, right, left, right, left, or or if you gallop, it's there's a penultimate in there, whether you realize it or not. So then you kind of just try and 
more of the, the purpose of the skip. So maybe you'll skip for distance where you have to kind of push a little bit quicker, a little bit faster, um, or you'll skip for height or you'll, get, or you'll gallop for distance where now you have a little bit more speed and you're just repeating that same pattern over and over. And each time you do that, there's a penultimate in there and then there's a takeoff. It's just really fast. Mm-hmm. And then this is just one that comes into in my mind right now, sort of related. Do you ever have your athletes train? So if they, it's long jump, for example, and they're a left footed jumper, the jump is on the left. Do you ever have them train the opposite way? That's something I've actually thought about doing this year is incorporating a little bit more jump balance. Um, one to kind of relieve some of that, that soreness that can be on the same leg, but also just like mixing it up in your brain, mm-hmm. making your brain have to do something completely different. So yes, I, I actually like that a lot. Um, we, I've been doing a lot more with when we'll do skips, I'll be sure to, that we do both sides, emphasizing both legs, just kind of gaining a, a general improvement in general of just like being more athletic on both sides of your body. Cause you can get so caught with one side that sometimes just flipping it and doing it the other way, you'll realize like, Oh, well, that technique wasn't that bad. And I never even trained that side. And sometimes you can kind of make those connections. Yeah. I, I think that's perfect. The, the brain part of it, I think is, is really big, especially on, on my realm of things where I'm working with sort of lower level athletes or someone after surgery that the brain involvement is really huge. Mm-hmm. I think as a, as a coach that yourself too, I think that's important because then it, I don't know, in my mind, it helps make the athlete actually think about what they're doing again. Cause especially mm-hmm. at the college level, and there's probably a lot of college athletes that you need to coach a lot too, but a lot of them have done whatever event for a while and they're maybe just kind of spitting their wheels going about it. And then adding in this simple change can just make them rethink about it again. And then maybe they figure out something that they could be doing to help their other side even more. Yeah. So I like that idea personally. That's kind of why I brought it up. I just wanted yeah. to get perspective on that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, um, kind of in, in, in that realm, um, do you have any observations in what will separate like the good runners or jumpers from like the really great ones? Like it could be the way they train, um, something they do about recovery, honestly, anything, what you see is it makes a difference between good and great. Uh, I would say the biggest difference between good and great isn't, it's not really, I mean, sometimes it's talent, you know, people just have way more talent than others, but most of it is, is what they're doing. Not only, in practice but outside of practice um like we said earlier those those gains in in improvement and speed and power and all that really comes after practice when you're recovering and how does your body recover and the athletes that have better recovery do a better job of taking care of their bodies outside of practice um usually are the ones that make that jump from good to great and obviously you have to have that commitment within practice but most people i would say at least on in our program that are you know you're showing up to practice every day obviously you care about what you're doing in practice so then can you take that mindset and bring it with you outside of practice as well and and be diligent about you know what you're trying to accomplish yeah i think that's that that's perfect in a lot of different avenues that doing the thing is usually pretty motivating and people like to do it. That's why they do the thing, whether it's jumping, um, lifting, you name it. But then it's the stuff that you do outside of that brief period of time that should supplement what you're doing is, is where people can fail or find it really difficult. Like importance of sleep, good nutrition, stress management, 
et cetera, things like that, that people don't see as important details, but really are when you attack them and you're consistent with them. So I, I think that's, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are a couple mistakes that you yourself made as an athlete that you try to teach your athletes not to make, if that makes sense? Uh, I always, we always tell our athletes to ask questions. Um, I was, I was, I'd always grown up, I would say, you know, nine out of of my 10 coaches were really awesome. Um, but the ones that weren't, I never really asked any questions. I was just like, I just did what they said just because I assumed that what they were saying to me or, or doing for me was the right thing. And that's not always the case. Um, there, there may be a coach or two in there that, may not be leading you in the right direction in terms of, you know, technique or whatever it is. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and not, that's not saying that you have to question every single thing about them, but they should at least be able to explain, you know, the how or the why that you're doing things. And I think it's better if everyone has an understanding, you know, athletes don't need to be in the dark about their training. You know, some athletes obviously like to just, you know, all right, this is what we're doing. Okay. I'll go do it. But there should at least be an understanding of, of, of how or why we're doing it and why we're doing it at this time. It doesn't have to be super in depth. You know, you don't have to explain all the biomechanics, but at least a basic understanding I think can go a long way. <laughs> oh, I think that can go an incredibly long way. I'd say that's probably one of my biggest mistakes too, as a, a younger athlete is I just would either do what the coach told me to do, or if I thought it was garbage that I wouldn't do it, but I mm-hmm. never asked like the reasoning why, And then in hindsight, where I am now looking back is the coach probably had a really good reason for it because I should have been doing what they were telling me to, but I just didn't. Mm -hmm. And I think just that understanding of why, like a basic level, why are you doing something can help an athlete just execute it better because it means something to them rather than someone just telling them what to do. Right. That's awesome advice. I will take that time and time again. (laughs) So I think last question I want to get into um, is just about progression over time. So how do you generally go about progressing an athlete's training over the course of the season in order to peak for either end competition or peaking for the competitions just throughout the season? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we, in general, we'll always start with acceleration. So pretty much we'll learn how to run fast in a short space. And then we'll learn how to run fast in a longer space. And then we'll learn how to run fast in an extremely long space. So it's pretty much acceleration, you know, top speed, and then um, speed maintenance. And that's kind of the general way of going about it. And that kind of, that fits pretty well with going through the seasons, you know, going through indoor season, outdoor season. Um, You know, you're starting off only doing maybe one event in a meet and then progressing to two. And then as you get more fit, you're able to do more events. And as you're able to do more events, you can do, you know, longer events, you know, run more 400s or if that's your thing, um, stuff like that. So I would say that's the the general look is, you know, learn how to run fast in a short space, learn how to run fast in a longer space, and then learn how to run fast in a much longer space. And that that seems to seems to fit pretty well. And then within that, finding the places, the good spots to rest. Um, once you're at near your end of the season, it's not really about getting a, you know, a, a bunch of uh, quantity in. It's really just all about quality, like vi- vi- a big emphasis on quality, like getting in, getting out, you know, yes, it's intense, but 
there's high rest, um, mm-hmm. keeping the volume really low towards the end. Gotcha. So it seems like you guys start relatively low, gradually increase volume as people get more fit. And then kind of towards the end of the season, taper down volume, but a lot more focus on intensity and quality, you'd say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, so then to finish up, um, we always end with what we call like a lightning round where we just ask a few questions just to people to get to know you a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. So I know you kind of mentioned a little bit, but you have a pretty athletic family. So who from coming from you is the best athlete in the family? Uh, it's my brother's making a good run at it, but it's still my dad. Uh, he's, yeah, it's still my dad. He's in the Hall of Fame at Lehigh University for basketball. So he was the all-time leading scorer when he graduated. Um, so, wow. yeah, he's, he can still get that, that crown. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. So uh, what is your favorite hobby outside of coaching? Ooh, other than coaching, I, I enjoy playing sports a lot. Um, I would, I still play soccer. So I'll play at uh, uh, U line in the summers. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I still love playing sports. Everything sports. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. This one's very off topic, but if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Easy mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> that's, that's one I'm always ready for. Um, if I was on a desert Island for the rest of my life and I had one food to choose, it would be that for sure. Nice. That might be the first time I've heard that one, but <laughs> <laughs> and then this one's kind of weird. It might make sense as I say it, but if if you could only do one of two things, would you rather sprint every time you had to walk or only ever be able to walk so you couldn't run? Sprint every time I want to walk. I I already find myself like light jogging to certain places when I'm just trying to make go a little bit faster. So if I had to sprint there, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> All right, nice. I love that answer. Well, Kale, I really do appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Um, where can people learn more about you and, and what you're doing? Um, I guess you could find me on YouTube. I, I do post some track videos. So it's uh, coachkale.tf on YouTube. Uh, it's also the same handle on Instagram. So uh, it's pretty much just a, a, a track uh, track bio diag- uh, well, diary, track diary for me pretty much uh-huh. on the internet. So just kind of share some ideas and and kind of share that with the world. Yeah, sweet. Um, I'll definitely get that in the show notes for people to check out themselves. But um, thank you again for your time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learn something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.